You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the DMVR Nuggets podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Look at that. Three days. Three days. It's what? really like 30 hours before we get on a plane, but three I days. Know. I know. I was talking to Kale earlier. He goes, 48 hours from now, we will be on a 10-hour flight. Yeah, absolutely crazy. But we have a special show, not just because we're going to Belgrade to Serbia here in a couple of days, but we have a very special guest joining Harrison and I. Um, I don't even know if you know this, Rafal, but you are something of an international man of mystery amongst the diehard Denver Nuggets fans. Uh, so very excited to have you on. International scout for the Denver Nuggets, Rafal Juke. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Did you did you know this that you have a certain amount of mystique amongst Nuggets fans as the guy who's in Europe, you know, the guy with all the real intel on what's going on? Hey, it counts with the job, you know. You gotta lay low, uh, just stay low key, just be in the background. You know, I know my place in the pecking order. Pretty much my job is to be all eyes and ears for for my boss. So uh, I don't really do much media. I want to say it's probably my first interview with, uh, with Denver Media. So in, in a sense, you guys are special. I know Harrison uh, did a piece on me in the past, but that was obviously uh, writing. So I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to be on here. I, I also think, Rafael, correct me if I'm wrong, but you and Tommy, are you guys like the longest tenured Nuggets front office people? You, you, you've been here from the beginning, right? Yeah, I, I've been actually going through uh, team pictures, you know, the other day. And I'm, I'm, I'm about to start my season number 10. And from wow. that original crew that Tim Connolly brought in, uh, it's only myself, Tommy, uh, Ben Tenzer, and Jim Klibanov, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, and some people may not even recognize me because back then I had that Justin Bieber haircut, and a lot of things have changed over the time, but it's still me. And uh, yeah, we keep on rolling, man. Nice. It is interesting, though, because, you know, organizations change, they evolve, players come in, coaches come in, people go. And so for you now to be in 10 years, it's actually pretty special. I, I, I don't know what percentage of people stay with one organization for a full decade, but it's very few. I would guess probably two or three percent of all people that come through. So there is a lot of knowledge that comes with you being at every single level here. Um, I want to talk to you, though. I want to cut it. I have a lot of great questions for you because I think what you do is so interesting and what, what I, one of the things I want to start with is what is your season schedule or your annual schedule look like? When is the busy part and what are you up to right now? Like what, where are we at in your annual cycle of scouting? What is the summer months like for you? You know, we always say, and it also goes with the hashtag, you know, scouting never stops. And uh, it's, it's an ongoing process. Uh, I love my job and, you know, out of respect for people who work nine to five, I always say just a lifestyle. So even though if I have a day off, I will, I'll be watching games, I'll be on the phone, I'll be collecting intel, writing reports, and that's exactly what I'm doing these days. You guys actually caught me on a, on my uh, first year anniversary of my wedding, so it's already the first success. Congrats. I didn't get the divorce yet, you know? That's what some <laughs> of the scouts told me. Just watch out, because this job is, is going to eat you alive, and uh, hopefully uh, I'm going to be a great example for everybody who can combine both, you know? A uh, great private life and also successful stint as a as an international scout. It's not an easy job because a lot of people think, okay, you're an NBA scout, so you, you watch a lot of NBA games, and most of the games I scout, they're well below the NBA level. Sometimes you gotta go to Sweden, Norway, watch second division summer, you know, go to the small gym in the middle of winter. 
So it's not really a glamorous job, but I just love it. Uh, right now it's almost end of the season. So my calendar year, like for most of the people goes from January till December. For me, pretty much the season starts in, uh, in September, that's the beginning of my new year. So I'm om almost about to start a new scouting season. So now is a good time to recharge some batteries, uh, get some, you know, rest and just uh, keep on rolling. Do you still like it? I mean, your job is exhausting. You're on a plane a lot. You're traveling a lot. Do you still like it the way you did 10 years ago? Has your love for it evolved? Like, how, how, what is your energy like for doing this, this traveling all the time? Oh, I love it even more, you know. This, this job is so unique. Every single trip is so different, even though you go to the same cities. I would say basketball is a great platform that takes me to all these beautiful places. I was able to make some friends for life. Uh, unbelievable memories, and especially the people I work with, you know, these are the people I would go on a war with. Uh, and especially now with Calvin uh, bringing in some new people, and uh, he's going to give some flavor to this organization on his own. Uh, it's almost like some, you know, fresh blood. So even though I've been working for this organization for 10 years, I've been working pretty much under Tim Connolly, then was Arturas Karnishovas, who was managing me directly. Now it's going to be Calvin. So over that stint, I had three different bosses. Each one of them was different. Each one of them taught me so much. And uh, my, my energy level, even though maybe I'm not showing it, uh, it's, it's still pretty high, I would say. What, is it, what does it take to be a good scout, in your opinion? What are some of the characteristics? I mean, a love of basketball, I imagine, is a, is a must. And I also imagine a lot of people get into it thinking they love basketball, and then they realize, hey, this is you got to be 24-7 basketball. So what, what are some things you think make for a good scout? Well, I actually studied uh, journalism college, and I think it gave me a great preparation because in, in this job, you got to do a lot of notes. Uh, you got to prepare yourself for every trip. Uh, you got to be organized. Uh, you just got to be, you know, self-reflective. And pretty much what I'm trying to achieve is to be self-efficient in, in a way that I don't have to bother my boss too much, uh, that he knows even though I'm pretty much all along on my own because pretty much I operate as an independent department of the Nuggets organization. Technically, you're a part of a team, but, you know, practically, you're on your own. So we don't really work on a team schedule. You don't go to the office. Uh, and it's almost like, you know, getting ready for the high school exam. You cannot do it over the night. you got to do it uh, in terms of the process. you got to get ready for the whole season. So I would say a good scout is a good communicator because uh, pretty much my job is to collect all the information and pass it along. You know, some guys like it in writing. Some guys like it when you leave an audio message. Some guys like to get an email. So it's not only about getting the right information, but also making and sending your, your point across. That's who do you set your own schedule in terms of who you're scouting and where you're going or, or to what degree is it you doing that and you being assigned, Hey, go here and see this guy, go here and see that guy. Yeah. When I, when I started this job and uh, I was only 21, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I was the youngest NBA scout at that time. And that record was, uh, was, all, was broken, taken from me a couple of years later, uh, which is all right. Uh, because, you know, being young in that business, especially at that time, wasn't really uh, a great achievement. A lot of people were looking down at you. Still in, in this business, you know, you pretty much, we always say in scouting, your currency is information. The more you have, the richer you are. And obviously it comes with an age and experience. Uh, so so uh, I would say over those 10 years, I was able to really improve a lot. Yeah. How has it changed going from Tim Connolly to Calvin Booth? Because you mentioned you worked with Tim, Arturis, uh, Calvin now. I, I know it's still pretty early on in Calvin's tenor, but how is he different from, from Tim, for say? Yeah, you know, first of all, I'm extremely uh, happy to be working for the Nuggets organization because it starts from the top to the bottom. It's a, it's a franchise that is very European pro friendly, uh, including, you know, Josh Kroenke. I remember early on, I didn't really know who he was. And I remember scanning through our scouting database. And I was like, wow, this guy is doing a pretty good scouting report. And then it turns out this guy is our owner. And he was coming overseas and he was coming on scouting trips. So, you know, Josh is a basketball guy. And obviously you can find the best talent in the world. But at the end of the day, you got to convince your head coach, your owner, your GM. And in my case, all those three, for them, it doesn't really matter. I remember we used to say in our office, it doesn't matter if the player is from Kansas or from Kaunas in Lithuania. He's just a basketball player. And I would say that approach uh, remains, you know, alive to this day. 
Uh, Kelvin is much more process oriented uh, than Tim, for example. With Tim was much more informal uh, type of discussions, phone calls, but both are very similar when it comes to European game. You know, uh, Calvin wants to see all the kids up close. Uh, for him, it was fine to bring him over for some workouts. And actually, for if I'm not mistaken, he's been working uh, with us for four seasons. He was one of the closest guys to me when it comes to reporting to. Uh, he was with me on numerous European trips. And uh, he's just a basketball guy. You know, he, he's, uh, he's a scout in his heart. So those are the easiest guys to work for. Um. What it, walk me through sort of what, what, what are the first steps when you're scouting a player? Is it, you know, you, I'm just going to go see this guy in this gym and I'm going to sit in the stands and take notes. Are you reaching out to coaches first? Hey, what can you tell me about the guy? What's it like when you're making a first contact with a player or a first scout of a player? Yeah. So obviously network is crucial. Uh, summertime is a, is a time of Intel gathering. I have pretty much contacts all over the world. And I always try to rely on them, making a list of my targets for the upcoming season. Uh, I would say summertime is the busiest time of the year. I just did the math the other day. And between June, July, and first half of August, I was home only about 10 days. Wow. Because we have and you're still those, married. You're still married. Still married. Still <laughs> going, baby. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I was gone for so long just because summertime is probably the busiest time of the year for us. You know, every scout is different. I was uh, fortunate and able to pretty much, you know, uh, come up with my own process, how I want to go about things. Sometimes it's always Intel gathering, making my own list, list of targets. I always divide guys into different tiers. Priority guys are the guys who are pretty much a first-round talent. Secondary guys who are, you know, second-round or up-and-coming type of prospects. And uh, usually I just sit back, relax, first month of the season. I just want to take it easy, watch the tape, analyze stats. And the European game is so much different. Because you, first of all, you got to understand different levels of competition. And I'm so fortunate that the guys I, re, I report to, which nowadays is Calvin, but also Coach Malm, if I present them a player who averages only four points a game in France, they're not going to shrug their shoulders and say, like, hey, this guy can play. He probably stinks because they understand. First of all, we're evaluating kids who are playing with grown men in pro leagues. And so their, their roles are much different. And then for me, the key is, to be able to evaluate those kids over a certain period of time. As opposed to college, for example, that if we are talking about one and done guy, you gotta go over a sample size of maybe only eight months since he put his foot on the, on the campus. For me, internationally, I start usually when those kids are 15 and I see how they develop and which trajectory they take, whether they go up, they go down, how their body changes, what's the uh, circle of influence, you know, inner filter of those kids, who, who's the agent, who's the handler, so to speak. What's the family situation like? How his body changes? So these are all very important things to be able to put them in perspective. And like we said, you know, the longer you work in this business, the better you get at it, just because you can look back, reflect, and look for certain trends that just translate over over time. It was interesting along those same lines when I was researching Kamagate and talking to some of the people in the front office about it. One of the things they kept saying was, you know, the French league, it's a very athletic league. And so, you know, the athleticism part is going to translate this or that. Like, how much do these leagues vary in that way where you can say this skill popping in this league, we know that'll mean this. And, and maybe this part of the, the skill will, will pop in that league. How much is that factoring and weighing what league he's in? Oh, I would say pretty much every league in Europe is so different. Uh, sometimes when I have those, you know, multi-cities, uh, multi-day trips, and one day I'm in Serbia, and the other day I'm in France, almost like trying like to pinch myself, is it still the same game? Is it still a game of basketball? Wow. It's almost like for some of the college scouts. One day you watch Big Sky, other day you watch the WCC, and those conferences are so different, you know? Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer at DNVR. Uh, you guys know Breck Brew. If you don't know where to get Breck Brew, check out the Breck Brew Beer Locator. That's on their website. That will tell you where to get Breck Brew wherever. And make sure to pick up some Avalanche Amber Ale today i call it the original breck brew i think it's the first breck brew i ever had but uh it's great obviously you can celebrate the av stanley cup with it pick up some avalanche amber from breckenridge brewery breck brew is of course the official beer of dnvr also at DraftKings sportsbook right now guys college football is back it's time to enjoy the tradition the fun the great offers from DraftKings sportsbook to celebrate 
the best time of the year. New customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $200 in free bets instantly. Win or lose, you can also place the same game parlay for a shot at an even bigger payout. Just combine multiple bets into one, like which team will get the win, which team will score first, and much, much more. DraftKings, of course, is safe, secure, reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code DNVR. Bet just $5 on college football. Get $200 in free bets instantly. Code DNVR. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. One per new customer. Minimum $5 deposit. $200 issued at $825 free bets. Restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. All right, we're back here. Rafael, I think we have you back. I don't know what happened, but we're back. Yeah, I, I thought you guys just, you know, caught me off because that was so boring. But <laughs> uh, I'm glad I'm back. <laughs> no, it was interesting, but what you were talking about was the difference in the leagues. And could you, like... What are some of the characteristics? The French league is the most athletic one. What are some of the traits of maybe the other other leagues? Yeah, you know, I'm not a huge fan of playing the game of stereotypes. When I okay. saw the player, when I evaluate him, I always try to evaluate three factors. His coach, his teammates, and then the player himself. And uh, I think it applies across all the levels, regardless if it's international game or college game. And the same deal when you do a background on a player or intel, you know, you call one coach and he says the guy was lazy. You call the other one and you would say, mm-hmm. I couldn't kick this guy out of the gym. And that's why I always have this rule of three. You know, I always try to call at least his last three head coaches, uh, teammates from last three teams. And the same applies to different teams. Here in Europe, you know, you always say the game is a little bit different because you got to do more having less, which is you have less talent, you have less money, you have less resources. That's why coaches sometimes, you know, get more creative. Obviously, everybody's playing for their life, you know. Most of the coaches and players on just one-year deals, uh, which really puts a lot of pressure on them. And you can imagine playing all these teenage kids. For most of them who are draft eligible, is only the first year of their pro experience. They always It's going to be a slow burn for him, you know. So my rule is I, I always want to see those kids at least three times. I remember scouting, for example, Yusuf Nurkic, you know. First time when I went over there, he even struggled to keep it all together at, at the, he, one of his very first practices, you know. Uh, he couldn't catch a wind. He he was so tired because for him, the jump of level was so high. Everything was so new. You almost see the same process when the international kid comes to NBA. Different terminology, uh, different approach right. of the head coach, different different drills and so on. So that's why I want to see that guy in October, January, and then ideally right before the draft, you know, before I recommend somebody to be brought over to Denver. Hmm. I imagine maybe even cultural adjustments in that way just the dynamics of the nba are very different i I imagine team dynamics are different social dynamics are different the media is different um so how much of a challenge do you think that is for a player who hasn't ever been to the u.s and doesn't really have a frame of reference to all of a sudden it's going to completely different dynamics yeah you know every guy is different i remember for example juancho hernan gomez who was already one of the most talented uh young players in acb which is probably the second best league outside NBA in the world. At that time, when he was draft eligible and when you're looking at him, he was still living with his parents. So mm. you would wonder like, hey, how is this guy going to handle not only the jump to the stage, but being on his own, you know, and all that pro athlete life. But again, every guy is different. Uh, I remember it was funny. Uh, we brought Juancho. Eventually, we drafted him. I went to him to introduce myself. And he was like, hey, you don't even have to introduce yourself because I know you. You spoke to my mother. You, you spoke to my coach. Mm. I, I saw you hiding in the cafeteria across our practice court and so on. So until the guy is in a draft, you cannot really talk to him. But you try to collect as much information as you can. Maybe we're not really pushing it to the limits. Like the hustle movie show that I would not necessarily go to his uh, primary school and talk to the teacher. But obviously <laughs> you want to collect as much information as you can. So as far as the you know cultural adjustment, I would say now we are living in era of Netflix, which for me is just, you know, catch it all phrase that those kids are listening to the same music, wear the same uh, clothes, you know, watching the same shows. And I would actually say some of the international kids are even more and better prepared for NBA uh, grind just because they've been already part of a professional uh, training. Uh, they know what it is to play for your life. They know how to handle the pressure. 
and some of them they had to move to a different city, different country at the age of 14, 15, so they can really handle them themselves. Right. That's interesting. You brought it up. So I, I, we had a great question in here from the chat. Just They wanted to know, obviously, you've watched Hustle, and you, you mentioned Juancho Hernan Gomez. So you really this were Adam Sandler. Like the movie, you, we could say it's actually based on you. <laughs> yeah, you, you saw the guy eating all the freaking fast food after, after the games and practices. That was all me. You know, <laughs> and uh, we actually like to joke about it with all the scouts because obviously that was a common discussion amongst all the international scouts. I probably never got as many messages, even on my wedding day <laughs> after the hustle premiere. You know, everybody was like, hey, I just thought about you. Uh, I thought that, that was your story and so on. Obviously, there were some parts of it. And uh, since you brought it up, I, I think it's not really a secret. I actually had an offer to be on the set uh, assistant, a consultant for all the scouting clients and so on. And uh, from all the people in the world, the guy who connected me with the Hollywood people was Tim Connolly. Don't even of ask me. Of course, it was Tim Connolly. Of course, it was Tim Connolly. Actually, <laughs> but you, you saw Dell Demps. He was also appeared in that movie, and I had yeah. a chance to be a consultant. But you know, at that time there was a draft season. I was preparing for my wedding. I just couldn't do it. That was in the middle of COVID as well. It, it's a shame, but I recommended a very good friend of mine who was in between jobs at the time, and he actually had a short appearance in that movie. So. Maybe, you know, wow. that that experience ripped me off my acting career, but hopefully, you know, the, the, the Nuggets are at least happy about it. I'm still working. Oh, that's crazy. In all seriousness, though, that's commitment to the grind, a chance to be a Hollywood yeah. movie star. I think nine out of 10 scouts would say, hey, forget the draft. Yes, I'm going to go. Forget the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Forget <laughs> the wedding. Forget the draft. Forget all of this. I'm going to be, I'm going to go to Hollywood. Um you you kind of touched on this just now, but I'm curious how in your 10 years now doing this professionally, how has scouting Europe evolved? Is it more prevalent now? I mean, obviously there's such an influx of great European players, but do you see, has there been big changes to how people scout Europe? Yeah. You know what? It actually uh, varies from organization to organization. Uh, there are still some of them that just, you know, hesitant. Uh, going all in, I would say right now we live in the era of global game. And now you look at the MVP candidates, all three might be international. The best player in the world is international. So I, I think if you are not really exploring that avenue with international game, you're doing this this favor to your organization and this service. So uh, we just want to be all in. We want to be present everywhere. We want to have our eyes and ears everywhere. And I remember 10 years ago when Arturas Karnishavas, because he was the man behind the idea he was the man who actually not only interviewed me but he also hired me and then he also groomed me in a sense he's my scouting godfather i remember a lot of people were just rolling eyes and laughing at him but now looking back he was a pioneer you know i don't say it brag about myself but i say it with a big pride that now i have a lot of colleagues from different teams assistant gm director of scouting they call me and hey raf i want to find somebody like you young hungry ambitious uh who can collect intel who can help who's just up for the challenge, you know? So uh, I, I take a big pride in it that I didn't fail Arturas because at that time that was my main task, was not even to be a scout, but just not to fail him. Uh, he took, it took him about two years to groom, to groom me and it tells you a lot how much it takes to actually prepare somebody to be a professional scout. Right now, uh, we live in the era of global game, like I said, and now we have certain franchises, they have 10, 50, 20 international scouts. They have consultants all over the place. And uh, we with the Nuggets, I like to call it, we are more, more of a close-knit family. We keep everybody involved. We have guys from the States coming over. Uh, everybody is just a scout. And then you have a different specialty. So uh, we just have a different way of going about the business. But uh, obviously, if we don't improve, you regress. So in the meantime, I had to pick up a lot of things when it comes to analytics, uh, improve other skills. But it's still the same approach. You just try to find the best players. And it's not only the best players, but it's also the best players who feature the best. I think if you look right now, Nicola, Giannis, Luca, Joel Embiid, that's four of the 10 best players in the NBA, probably four of the eight best players in the NBA. Are we in a golden era right now of international players, or is this just the new normal? And going forward, it's going to be even more talent coming from outside the U.S., in your opinion? I think, I think there's going to be even more. I remember you know, one of the GMs told me one time, Hey, Raf, it's ironically was us, you know, guys in States, even though Dr. Naismith was Canadian, if I'm not mistaken, who discovered the game of basketball, but right. you guys European play the right way. 
you play the way that he invented the game. All five guys share the ball, play together. You play as a unit. You play. All guys are multi-faceted skill set guys. So um, I would say now we are in a golden era. I think it's only going to improve because right now European kids, they have all different platforms and possibilities, not only to stay in Europe, to actually accelerate their growth. They can go to Australia. They can go to overtime. They can go to Ignite. They can go to college. So now uh, we, we cannot really afford losing that talent because they have so many options that even European teams, they just if they have somebody who is a standout player, they really take him uh, with special treatment. So I think there's going to be even more talent. And not to mention that you have a continent like Africa that NBA is investing heavily in that I think is only on the verge of breakout. And there's going to be so many more players coming out of there as well. We're going to have Dechi fall on at some point around training camp time as well. And he's, he does, I know he's obviously connected a lot to African and African scouting. And I've had some great conversations with him about it behind, you know, behind the scenes. And I can't wait to have those conversations with him because I'm so fascinated by that aspect of it. A whole new emerging market specifically for NBA players that I think will be really interesting, but we got to keep it moving, Rafael. And I want to ask you, cause we're going to Serbia here in two days. And one of the reasons we're going, we're filming a documentary, we're making things. One of the central questions I have is, why are the Balkan states so good at basketball? Why do they produce so many basketball players? Do you have a perspective on that and what it is about the leagues, the training, the coaches, the history, the culture that make so many good basketball players from there? Yeah, you know, first of all, I got to say I'm so jealous just because I love Serbia. By the way, it's my, my favorite place in the world. Uh, I love why why is it your favorite place in the world? Why? Oh man, it's a mixture of everything. But you know, it's food, the culture, people, life, music. You know, uh, especially summertime. Uh, the whole life in the city of Belgrade just gravitates towards the river. All the bars, you know, boats, and all that stuff is so nice over there. And I remember one of my first introduction uh, to, to Belgrade to Serbia was Ogi Stojakovic, our assistant coach. He actually organized a nice trip for me and he put me with his whole family. Nobody obviously was speaking any English. I was not speaking any Serbian. We became best friends and uh, I felt horrible, you know, to live in his family like at 10 p.m. And I was so stuffed with food. They wouldn't let me stop eating. Uh, they would always like hand me uh, some more alcohol and stuff. And I, I just love those type of people. They're my people, you know. So, yeah. uh, and I, in fact, I just booked my trip to, to Belgrade, but it's going to be in September to scout game over there and just can't wait, you know, almost like, counting down days we've gotten a taste of serbian hospitality and i'm excited to experience it for real but ever since we announced the trip we've had so many people reach out oh we'll take you on a tour oh we'll put you guys up so many people i've had to say no to so many people like no thank you like we have only so much time yeah so i I can't wait to experience it for real they take big pride you know and especially if you tell them you're a nugget guy uh I, i never use it but sometimes the guy would like pull me out at the line of the customs and hey, I know you're working for the Nuggets. Like, okay, special treatment. Let's go. <laughs> they they just love their Nuggets, you know. They love Joker. They love the Nuggets. Uh, they love basketball in general. And you ask me, Adam, uh, what what's the formula behind their success? I would say first they have great coaching, but I would say it even it's even more about the culture. They have this culture of togetherness. Uh, it, it's funny because now I I tell other people, you know, current athletes. To understand them, you gotta understand where they come from. And nowadays in Europe, I don't know if in states the same, but you say average basketball player is being raised by two women, by his his mother and the teacher in kindergarten or school. Most of them they don't have that you know male figure in it. And in Serbia, it's all by that. You know, they have that culture of togetherness. All the guys hanging out together, playing together. They're much more in your face. They're much, you know, just they hanging out together. They, they, it's for them, you know, to touch themselves to hug, to show their emotions. And it also applies to competing on the basketball floor. You know, they, they have this approach all out. And uh, they, they can be tough. They can be, you know, intimidating. Uh, but they always fair is a great approach uh, to, to raise a basketball player. And uh, that, that's why there's so many players coming out of there. And I, I guess there's also got to be something in the water just because <laughs> some of these guys are coming out of nowhere and they're just good basketball players. Speaking of coming out of nowhere, when was the first time you heard the name Nikola Jokic? Yeah, you know what? I actually saw him uh, two years before I was hired by the Nuggets. So already at the time, he was in my notebook as a players of interest. 
uh, I would lie if I ever, you know, uh, was able to envision the fact he's going to be MVP. I remember looking back and going to my notes, probably first two or three trips I took to Mega, to his club in Belgrade, was for different players. And he, he was uh, others of note. He was not even a priority, not even a secondary guy I was looking at. But like I said, you know, the, the big part of my process is to see those guys develop and improve over a period of time. Right. And you would see the guy almost like in a Rocky movie. You know, day one, he was able to do 10 push-ups. Then I come back months later, he's doing 50. Next thing you know, the guy is going shirtless and, and showing his, uh, his strength, you know. And that was exactly the process about Joker. And uh, one of my mentors early on told me, when you look for NBA talent, you look for those flashes of excellence. First, it's going to be a single, single action. Then it's going to be a few possessions. Then it's going to be a quarter. You look for the dominance. Then it's going to be half game. Then it's going to be longer stretches. And with Joker, you could see it right away. There were some things jumping out at you. The way he was able to process the game. The way he saw things coming. The way he was able to pass the ball. He was just different. But uh, a lot of people dismiss him, including myself just because he was that goofy-looking type of guy. And I remember proudly the eye-opener for all of us was the moment when he was at the Hoop Summit. And I remember joking that he was going to pump fake Clint Capella out of the gym, you know. Coming into the event, Clint Capella was much highly ranked, was a much better prospect, and, uh, and Joker just outplayed him all week long. Right. Well, it's so funny because when you ask Joker about how he came up, he always says, I've always played the same way, you know. But – like you're saying, and, and even when you go back and watch the film of him at Mega, he, he really was playing the same way. Yeah, you know, sometimes uh, when you scout young kids, you, you cannot be too harsh on them, especially when you look at the turnovers number. I would say, and, and especially Tommy, our assistant GM, is big on it. He always says, okay, he commits a lot of turnovers, at least he tries. If you can clean it up and you can work with him, and kids, players, they always get better of experience watching the tape and some of them, they don't have the resources that we can offer them at the NBA level. They're always going to get better. So with Joker, that was obviously the case from, from day one. And he, he also had a great support. You know, he, his family, his godfather, his coach, Dan Milojevic, he was pretty much singing his, his praises. You know, he was singing his songs. He's been telling me from my very first practice over there, hey, pay attention to this guy. I know, Raf, you came to scout somebody else, but hey, like you, you, Joker, he can be Boris Dio. You know, maybe he's gonna be better. I don't know. But from day one, he already loved this player so much that you could see the confidence. Sometimes the coach can also make or break a player because the confidence he installs in the player. Also, when you look back at the player, and I do this quite often, you try to have like with a person a family tree. You have the coaching tree where the players come from, mm, and with, with Joker is also a huge part of of his improvement and his career that he was lucky and fortunate enough to play for coaches who also wanted to bring his best. Right. That's really interesting. Just to clarify real quick. So you saw him when he was, he was already at mega is yeah. the first time you saw him. Yeah. And, and was he playing a lot of minutes at, the, at that time or was he kind of like a, a low usage player? No, he, he was just a practice guy. He was only okay. involved in a, in a 12 month roster. And uh, the very first time I saw him on the international scene, was when he represented Serbia at the World Cup uh, U19. That was in 2013. Uh, that was before I was hired by the Nuggets, like I said. But that was already, he was playing against, you know, legit competition. I remember Aaron Gordon, for example, was playing in that tournament as well. Wow. And Joker was just a backup on his team. And obviously, it's so much about the role and the confidence you have from your coach. If you're a backup, you're on a short leash, you're not going to play the way he does. So he was not really himself. But like I said, you could already see some of the flashes. And uh, every time I would go back over there to Mega to watch him play, he was always better. Is did you do you feel like you learned a lot from going through that with Jokic, seeing him then, seeing him improve, then obviously watching him become the MVP, the two-time MVP? Do you feel like you've learned something from that experience that now you take forward with you? Yeah, of course. You know, you, you, first you kind of really cross off the guys too early. We always say scouting. Is, is, uh, is the art of, uh, of pretty much neglecting, of uh, crossing guys off because you're never going to be right, but you don't want to be too wrong either. So my job is pretty much to save my organization from a situation that we get our ourselves to that, for example, the guy's locker room, locker room cancer or the guy's going to have health issues or his buyout is going to prevent him from coming over. So you, you always try to eliminate those players. 
And I, I think, and myself included, at that time, all of us, we did that mistake early on that we just eliminated Joker, you know, too early. We were too harsh on him. There were certain things I would say first, even if the guy is not overly athletic, but he's got positional size, good touch, and nice length, he can overcome the lack of, you know, pop. We say a lot of NBA prospects, they just jump out at you because they are right. jump athletes. But I think especially Joker, he really changed that perception. Hmm. Wow. Um, what are your expectations for him next year? I, yeah. I know he's he, coming off back-to-back MVPs, two historic seasons. What do you think <laughs> he has in store next season, though? You know, obviously, internally as an organization, we all want to push him. We want to provide him uh, with, with an impulse for him to grow. I think he's the guy that he gets better as the competition gets better. Uh, so obviously the goal for us would be to go for it and, and then play as long as we can. Hopefully it means in the finals and to win the whole thing. I think uh, he's already proven people he can do so many things uh, that I, I, I don't really know what, what, what else he can really improve, you know, just become a, a better leader. Uh, he pretty much exceeded all the expectations. And now I would say there are no expectations. So let's expect unexpected. I don't know if it means that he's going to start shooting from the half-court line or I don't know if he's going to have a triple-double for the season. Uh, but the most important thing is he doesn't care for that stuff. You know, All he wants to do is just to win basketball games. How many Nuggets games do you get to watch here? Do you watch all 82 games? Yeah, I watch all of them. You know, my, my process is I wake up, I do my breakfast, and then I watch the game. Uh, I don't really stay up late anymore just because I travel so much. You know, Most of my flights already jump on a plane. And because of Denver, is uh, I'm eight hours ahead. Um, usually the game is still like going into the second half. I'm already traveling somewhere. So sometimes you don't even know what the score is. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sweating and I hope we're going to win the game and just land. You don't even know. So uh, I'm watching pretty much all the game. And that way I can actually stay up to date about the entire league. You know, I have so much responsibilities over here with the international game that I don't have time to watch other teams that much. But in order to be a good NBA scout, talent evaluator, first you got to know what the finish line is. So you have to know all the NBA players, different players' archetypes, what translates, uh, what, what is the packing order with different teams, what's the rotation, why the guy didn't make it. So that way I can stay on the top of it. Last questions I have for you now are on Ishmael Kamagate, who I'm really intrigued by. He was He was a lot of fun to watch at Summer League. What can you tell us about him, your scouting of him, and, and what do you expect of him this season? What, are, what things are you looking for for him in this, his, his stash year? Yeah, you know, Ishmael is, a, is a more of a late bloomer. And uh, I think there are some parallels to Joker's situation that some of the people just dismiss him. But you got to know the whole background. You have, you have to have the whole perception of him. The guy, five years ago, he was just a goalkeeper. He was not even playing basketball. And, uh, you know, when you look at his career, he's been pretty much playing basketball at the, at the pro level for about three or four years. So he's been still new to the game of basketball. And I, I think the one thing that really sold entire front office and coaching staff on him was when we brought him over to Denver for the workout. And he showed much more than he was able to show in real games, you know, mm-hmm. switch defense, guarding all over the floor. But most importantly, shooting jump shots, playing away from the basket. I think he's that type of, you know, athletic freak that ideally he could play behind Joker, next to Joker. He could actually make Nicolas' life a little bit easier because he could take on some of those defensive assignments. So the goal for him is to stay for at least one more season in Paris, you know, to gain more confidence. And now he's also going to play EuroCup, which is the second tier international competition. Uh, so he's going to see some of the great matchups night in, night out, just to get stronger, more physical, more consistent, and then hopefully be ready to make that next jump and, and arrive in NBA and represent the Nuggets. Well, that got me excited. <laughs> <laughs> so so it sounds like confidence and and really stepping outside and expanding a little bit more is what you would say you're looking for, like what, maybe the things that you're going to be taking note of this season. Yeah, you know, I want to see him, especially in a short little situations, if he can be a good decision maker, because right now I, I think, and you see it with Timberwolves, you know, some of the teams are going to a more of a two traditional big man lineups. Mm. And uh, I wouldn't really cross out the possibility that uh, Kamagata could play with Joker. And even if you don't space the floor as a shooter, you can space the floor as a passer, as a rim runner playing out of the dunker. So I, I would like to see him more do stuff offensively with the ball, uh, pick, pick and pop game a little bit, you know, put on the floor a little bit. 
And I think defensively, he shows you some great flashes. He was defensive player of the year in France last year. So obviously, I don't know how much he can improve in that aspect, but just being processing things faster defensively, not only reading one uh, rotation away, but two, three. You know, we always look at a big man, the way he guards. He doesn't have to only pay attention to his guy, but he's almost like a backline defender. you got to watch the whole five men, how they move, what the scheme. So I want to see him just be more consistent. Um, Harrison, do you have anything else before uh, we hit our next break? I guess my final question for Roth is, like, we have this perception of what, like, an international scout is and, and what you do. Like, what's something about your job that we would never guess? Oh, man. I don't know if I can say it. <laughs> I don't know. It might be too early, you know, in Denver time. No, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, like I said, I, I would say, you know, the number of the games that you got to watch, they're, most of them are so level. Uh, such a such a low level, and uh, that obviously you always enjoy it because you never know. You can step into the gym and there might be next Joker, next Yanis, but it also can get old. You know, I, I want to say it get boring, but you always gotta check and you know pretty much leave no stone unturned. But you gotta see all the prospects and only very few of them gonna make it to the league. Uh, I, I would say also the big perk of our job is the ability to travel the whole world see cool places. I'm not really a big tourist, but I like to wine and dine. I like to go to good restaurants. And so unlike Adam Sandler in Hustle movie, we don't really eat that much fast food, but <laughs> it's, it, we are so fortunate we can go to great restaurants and uh, most of the time do it in a nuggets expense, do it as a, you know, a business meeting, take a coach, connect with somebody on a different level because I say in this job, the, the real friendship starts at the moment. You talk about different things on basketball, so I was able to make friends pretty much all over the world because of this job. Well, maybe if you were on set for Hustle, they would have switched that part of the script up where he's always <laughs> eating fast food. So yeah, it would have rolled. They missed out on. I think maybe they would have just written him into the show. They would have been the main <laughs> character. <laughs> kick, kick Wancho off, uh, Rafa. This was a great interview. I really appreciate you taking the time. This was fantastic. It sounds like you have some great food wrecks around B Belgrade, so you might have to share. If you have a secret tip for us of a place we have to go, um, you have to let us know. Man, in Serbia, the food is pretty much good everywhere. So even like you're, you know, typical around the corner store, cannot go wrong. I like uh, I like this restaurant, you know, Bialareka, and I think the one place you guys gotta go check out is not restaurant, but it's club, and you gotta go. And also, people in Serbia they really like going out, they enjoy spending time oh, together, they like the music. So you know, Stefan Brown, the, the club, it, 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 you know, is it, the classic. You, you gotta go there. You know, it, it, if I'm not mistaken, it's on a sixth or seventh floor, and some of the NBA guys they thought you gotta take the elevator up and leave because. They, they had such a good time over there. They didn't know how to leave that place. <laughs> or maybe they didn't want to. This is how one of us is not going to make it back. It's so true. Exactly it's so that. true, man. Uh, <laughs> Rafael, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Good luck out there over the summer. No, thank you so much, guys. And I uh, hope you're going to have a good time in Serbia. If you're going to need any help, call me. I'm just two hours away flight. I'll, I'll try to make that emergency appearance over there. Good to so know. Stay well. Thank you, man. Thank you. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Thanks so much, man. Have a great one. Harrison, take us away to break. On the other side, we do have some news and notes. The Nuggets made a bunch of hires in their scouting department uh, here over the last day. So we're going to oh, – there we go. So we're, I have some updates on that that I think are actually really interesting about some of the guys they brought in. We'll talk about that in segment three. Ivaca is the new goat in Colorado sports. That is the greatest of all TV. Ivaca TV delivers amped up sports coverage for the Colorado fan featuring altitude sports, AT&T Sportsnet and the NFL network. Plus they've got tons of other channels as well. 60 entertainment channels in total, all in crystal clear HD while using less bandwidth. So Ivaca TV, it's, it's the present. It's the future. You got to get set up with it now. Turn your home into the ultimate game viewing zone. You can even stream your teams from your phone or laptop or tablet with Ivaca TV. It's only $25 a month plus a $5 receiver fee. But right now, Colorado sports fans can get $10 off per month for your first three months with the code Colorado 10. So go to Ivaca.tv slash Colorado 10. I want to, I'm going to interject. Um, Harrison. Oops. Um, uh, we're Ivaca and DNVR becoming increasingly partnered 
Oh. Uh, here, and we have some big announcements. So if you're on the fence right now about is, is, you want to try out Avaca this or that, maybe some exclusive DNVR content. I'm just teasing this. There oh. may be some exclusive DNVR content on Avaca uh, wow. before long that I think will be pretty cool. Wow. Yes. So go to evaca.tv slash Colorado 10. Get Evaca TV uh, for $10 off a month for those first three months. No contracts, no catches, no hidden fees. That's what Evaca TV is all about. Uh, also, our friends at FOCO, got to shout them out. They've got you covered with the best Colorado merchandise. Uh, head on over to FOCO.com or click the link below in the YouTube description. All non-presale items at FOCO.com. You can get 10% off with the code DNVR. That's good for all non-presale items. Use the promo code DNVR for 10% off at foco.com. They've got you covered with the best Colorado merchandise. Uh, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, Buffs, Rapids, they've got it all. Foco.com. All righty, back here. Final segment, DNVR Nuggets. I I would call this a must-listen episode. Um, Already, just a must-listen episode. Wouldn't you say, Wind? Yeah, I mean, that was an incredibly impressive interview. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know if you'll find somebody in basketball that's more like detailed in his approach than Raffle. And I, I think that came across in that interview. Like, the guy is just on it. There's no question that it's funny when he was talking about it's always funny when you ask somebody about, like, you know, what makes a good journalist, what makes a good this or that. Sometimes the things they they'll list off the things that they think the thing he didn't say that definitely came across as he was talking was that level of detail. Like, yeah, I think a lot of people can watch games, take notes, do this or that. But holding that information and filing it properly in your brain, as well as filing it physically in the right spots is so I've got to imagine is so important. And to his point, you go and scout two, three guys but you really are scouting 20 guys. You just have to take notes on everyone and and be able to pull those years later in some cases. So yeah, scouting is so much more than just watching a guy play basketball. Like that, (laughs) that's what we think it is on the surface level. Like, Oh yeah, I've been scouting Kendrick, Kendrick Williams for the last couple of years with the thunder. Like I think he'd be a good fit on on the nuggets, but like he could be sure. But did I talk to his high school coach? Did I talk to his college coach? Do I know what his family's like? Those are all integral components of scouting that we just don't think about. And filtering what parts are more important in each situation, you know, yeah. like being able to filter through that. Um, the Nuggets made a bunch of hires here over the last little bit, or at least they were announced over the last little bit. Mike Singer wrote an article over at Denver Post uh, revealing the names of all of the people. We know, you know, John Wallace uh, departed. We know that uh, Joe Conley departed over to Minnesota. And I saw a lot of conversation about, I'm curious, is this, are there more people coming in than going out? What have you Denver ended up hiring uh, a handful of people. I'm going to run through these really quickly. Drew Nicholas, Jared Jeffries. Um, let me see what else I have. Todd Chekovich, Chad Iske, Jared Stevenson, Mike Penberthy. Um, those are the names that I have listed down of people at Denver hired and almost all of them are scouts primarily. Now I have some little bit of details here. You know, Jared Jeffries was in the Nuggets' front office years back. He left to become like a, I believe like a partial owner of an esports company, yeah. a very lucrative deal. And so now he's back. So this is a new hire that's kind of a new old hire. Jared Jeffries has had a, already been been in the organization. You have any thoughts on and by the way, he'll be a scout and I'll believe, you know, like not that there anybody is put in a box, but he's a West coast guy. Like he'll be like a West coast college scout primarily um, obviously doing a bunch of other things, but with that emphasis. Yeah. Former player with, which is interesting from what I know about Jared Jeffries, he's the type of guy who just knows everybody too. He's got a lot of connections across the league, both from a basketball standpoint. And I think from a business standpoint too. So he's like, he he's the guy, he's the connector. Like he knows everybody, Jared Jeffries. Jarrett Stevens, um, another pro scout. He's coming in, uh, a guy that goes back quite a ways with Cal. Um, you know, a guy that he's known for a while. This is one of the big things about guys going out, guys coming in. You know, John Wallace was a guy Tim Conley hired. Joe Conley, obviously his brother. is not necessarily surprising moves. You know, when you look at some of the, you know, a guy brings somebody in that's their guy. You know, this is a Cal guy. This is a guy that Calvin knows is very comfortable with. 
uh, and has worked with and has worked as a pro pro scout. So it's sort of a new guy in charge. Who are the guys that he has maybe had even in his mind for years about like, hey, if I ever got a job, this would be one of my guys. That would be Jarrett Stevens. Do you have any notes on him? Well, all I'll say is like people departing a front office when there's a change at the top, like that's expected. That That's the type of thing that can happen all the time. I think now what we're going to see is Calvin Booth has the chance to fill this front office with his type of guys. Right. Like that, that's what these guys seem like to me. You know, Tim Conley played, you know, the biggest hand in hiring the front office that has been here the last couple of years. Now I think Calvin Booth gets a chance to bring in some of his guys, but there's even a specific thing I'm going to get to at the end here. As I put these up that I think is even more about Calvin sort of putting his stamp on, on the organization, mm-hmm. um, Chad, and I might be getting this name wrong, Chad Iskay or Chad Iskay. Uh, it's funny. He's actually a Nuggets assistant coach like 10 or 11 years ago. Um, so he's a guy that is actually returning to the Denver Nuggets, organization. And he, I believe will have like, he's another scout will be primarily an East coast scout. But again, these lines blur. They're not just like, Hey, you're only there, but kind of an emphasis on the East coast of college scouting. Here's where it gets kind of interesting. You get, um, Todd Chekovich who would be another scout, another guy that is connected and just knows a lot of people. I think he's a Villanova guy, like a, a mm. former Villanova player. Um, he will also be a cap strategist. He's also like a cap guru. So he'll be a, he'll be a scout, but also have the secondary job of, uh, of sort of advising on, on cap strategy. And then the one that's most interesting, at least in my opinion, Mike Pernbethy, who's coming over from the Lakers and he is a shooting coach. Now, here's what's interesting about him. When I talked to Cal after the draft, you know, a while back, one of the things he talked about was, hey, we really want to have an emphasis on shooting development. Like this is a thing that we feel is going to be very important Mm -hmm. and we'll be regimented about that. He said, and we have a plan in place, something to the the extent of, you know, we have some plans in place for that. So I think this is one of those hires that has, you know, probably been on his mind, if not already sort of agreed upon or, or, you know, in some capacity of we need to bring somebody in that is focused on the shooting aspect of player development specifically. And there's been different guys, Mark Price or whatever. I was going to say, yeah, the the Mark Price experiment, I don't don't think that went too well. He was only here for a season. Well, the thing about Mark Price is Mark Price is a great shooter, but I don't, I I don't remember if he would have been a coach to that point or if he had been like a shooting specialist and, you know, Denver, the Nuggets are making an investment here, not just in somebody who is going to be a scout slash shooting coach, but they also are making an investment. I don't think this has been reported anywhere. They're also making an investment in some shooting technologies that that should help aid in their way they track, develop, and tweak different players who are working to develop their shooting. And I'm thinking in particular of guys like Jack White, who, you know, shooting is going to be a big make or break skill for him. I want to talk about him in a second. Um, because I have an update actually on his record that that we've that has been much talked about over the last few days. Um, but also Peyton Watson is the big one to me. Like Peyton Watson becoming a three point oh, yeah. shooter might completely not just make or break him, but might make or break the way we look at this specific draft. And Denver not just hiring a guy that's like, hey, can we make him a three point shooter? But putting things in place, both you know this technology, bringing in a shooting coach but also just making it a structure of saying, hey, no, we have a way we're going to do. We're not just going to throw it out there and say, hey, everybody, emphasis on shooting. No, there's an actual plan in place of, hey, we want this to be an area of focus and we have a process in place for how we believe to best accomplish that. Yeah, I love that. And especially like you were saying, how it pertains to this draft class. Like that's exactly what Peyton Watson needs. When you think about Christian Brown, I think Christian Brown is going to be a good shooter. He might be able to be a great shooter if he has, you know, the, the tools around right. him, the resources around him that he needs to succeed. I imagine whatever technologies you have that are that are measuring the mechanics of your shot or whatever, they're going to say, "Hey, uh, Christian Brown, we need like a twenty percent increase on your arc." He shoots those <laughs> balls like ten point three feet in the air, man. Those are darts. Yeah. Um, so things like that. So I'm kind of. You know, you never know how this stuff works. Every team has a different approach to how they go about shooting. But what I think is interesting about all these hires, so first of all, it is a net positive in terms of numbers of scouts. Like Denver lost a couple, right. but they gained even more. So this is a net positive. But more to the point, one of the things we keep hearing, even we heard it from Rafal today, 
you know, and this is not a quality thing, not like one method is better or worse, but one of the difference I think going from Tim to going to Calvin is that Calvin is very much about structure and about, you know, putting things like rather than just, Hey, we all do everything and we'll all get together. There's a little bit more structure of, Hey, you're in charge of this aspect of the job, this aspect of the job and what have you. Mm -hmm. And I think you see that with how many scouts they they're bringing in, how they're giving them sort of specific areas of expertise, you know, to kind of bring to the table, but then also with the shooting stuff, a lot more of a, Hey, it's not just a topic of discussion. There's a plan in place. This is how we develop shooting and we're going to try it out. Whether again, it's not a quality thing to say this is better or worse, but it is a philosophical thing that I think we're starting to see. That's like, that's interesting. Let's see how it plays out. I guess we're going to find out. Can Michael Porter Jr. actually become a better shooter? <laughs> we, we might find that out. Uh, I'm excited to, to see what happens, but uh, I guess that's on the table now. This is though, you know, this is like player development for Jokic's rookie season where I'm sure they were sure. like teaching him things. And then at a certain point early on, they're like, you know, you don't actually need my advice. You're, you're good on, we don't need to go passing drills. I think you're good on passes. <laughs> Let's just, uh, uh, here, here, here's the read you should make from, uh, the elbow. Uh, you probably yeah. know what to, he's what like, to look actually for. what you're not seeing. And he's like, wow, crazy. And I think it's the same for Michael Porter. I imagine that there's a lot of, yeah, Mike knows what he's doing with shooting. Let's, uh, yeah, he's good I, there. I, yeah, I was being a little fishy. Uh, yeah. there. Um, I do have this. So we'll end on this. Cause I thought it was a fun note. Uh, so Jack White does have the record holder. They have, I can't remember what it's called. I should have written this down when I, when I heard it, it's like the nuggets 100 or something where you take a hundred shots and all of the shots are off of movement. So they're not just like, we've seen them do shooting drills, right? You catch five in the corner, then five. No, this is a drill where you actually have movement built into the drill. So you're always catching it on the move and then going up apparently Jack White, and this is a drill they've done for a long time. They continue. Everybody in the organization knows this drill because they all do it frequently. Okay. Jack White currently is the record holder. 83 out of 100 he made. And I asked, wow. first of all, it's I tell people this all the time, Jack White, not a shooter. Like, no, this, he, he's never been a shooter. <laughs> never been a shooter. But this is what I tell people about NBA players. I've watched Mason Plumley drain free throws. Like I, we watched... Wancho Aaron and Gomez go like nine of 10 over oh, and over yeah. and over again on threes. Like these guys are ridiculous level three, like athletes and shooters and everything else. The difference between, so when guys go to the rec center and they shoot in the corner and they make 10 in a row and they're like, I could have been in the league if I was a little taller. Like I think people underestimate how many NBA players make 50 out of a hundred threes in an empty right. gym. And actually it's usually a lot more than that. 83 for Jack White. And I asked, like, is that number pretty good? But this is like, oh, no, that'll be broken. Like, that's just the early record. He's he's holding the early record. But when Jamal gets back, I'm sure he'll break it. Wait, but I, I thought you said this is a drill that they've done forever. I think this is a this season record. Okay, this, this season. is like, yeah, like it resets. We got a new this season record gotcha. and it's 83. Um, and by the way, they have a couple of these. I don't think there's only one shooting drill. There's like free throw competition. There's a lot of different ones, but yeah, this every team has them. Like drill. you always hear when a draft guy goes to Boston and they're like, oh, he, he made 95 out of a hundred threes. <laughs> like every, every team has them. Yeah. It's so ridiculous, man. But these guys are awfully good. So 83, the current record from Jack white, but I imagine bones, Michael Porter, Jamal Murray are going to be gunning for that record. Michael Porter, Georgia. 100 out of 100. <laughs> Hey man, him or him or Jamal will be interested to see uh to see what happens. That does it for a great edition of today of the DNVR Nuggets podcast. Guess what, Harrison? We have one show left to do before we take get on a plane and hop off. And by the way, programming note, tomorrow's show. You didn't even know this, Harrison. You didn't even know this, Kale. Tomorrow's show, 3 p.m. The Nuggets, I don't know if you know this, the schedule comes out at 1 o'clock. We're going to want to talk about I, I've that. I've been hearing that the schedule is coming out for the well, last couple of days. I think 90% of the schedule has come out one tweet at a time, but it'll come out all together at 1 o'clock tomorrow. And then also tomorrow, Jokic is playing. Will it be on TV? Will it be on an illegal stream? We don't know. But in the event that we are able to watch it, we, of course, will want to talk about it tomorrow on tomorrow's show. So tomorrow's show, 3 o'clock p.m., uh, and it'll be our last show before we hop on a plane and head over to meet the beautiful people of Serbia. Hit that like button on the way out. Share this. If you're on social media, you guys, give us a retweet. This, I thought, was a great show. So give us a quote tweet, a retweet, or what have you, and let the masses know this was a can't-miss one if you're a diehard Denver Nuggets fan. We'll see everybody tomorrow.